Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Monday, May 16th, good to be with you back here. Had a sort of abrupt end to last week. Uh, the last episode, certainly I got a little fired up. And, uh, hey, you know, that's fine. That's fine. I uh, meant to be fired up there. News and notes always brought to you by Heritage Digital, please give Matt a call if you need IT solutions for your work. I know that uh, I'm in need of some from time to time, not as bad as I used to be, but uh, certainly it gets frustrating when you can't use your your uh, IT <laughs> internet and all that. So anyway, you guys know the commercial. It, it sets the tone for the show every single day. Gamecock baseball team took two of three from Kentucky this past weekend. Good to see the guys get a win on senior day. Disappointing. They could not close out the sweep. I would say the NCAA tournament looks ominous right now uh, with the game against Charlotte and three games against the Florida Gators in Gainesville to close it out. Gamecocks uh, looking good to make the NCAA tournament. I mean, sorry, the SEC tournament, uh, but not the NCAA. You know, as far as that's concerned, uh, we'll get into that in the analysis segment as far as the future of the baseball program. A little bit of a, a different uh, outlook right now on that based on some info that I've gathered. Um, so we'll see what you guys think about that uh, moving forward. Official visits continue to pile up in the month of June. Got another one. Hale McGranahan reported today, the weekend of June 10th. Uh, Devin Hyatt, originally from Dutch Fork, he moved to IMG Academy, uh, is making his official visit. Four-star guy right now for 24-7 Sports Composite. Not, I don't know if that'll hold or not. Uh, good player. Uh, certainly uh, not like his brother in the sense that, you know, Jalen Hyatt, who plays at Tennessee, is co- sort of a speed demon. Uh, Hyatt Devin, Hyatt, comma, Devin, <laughs> is more of a, uh, a possession guy, bigger bodied guy, uh, good hands, uh, good playmaker, uh, certainly has a lot of offers and a lot of uh, interest and in the hometown teams right there in his top four. So 
we will see what ultimately happens with, with Devin Hyatt. Don't know that I would crystal ball him to the Gamecocks right now. Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama are the other three. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, the Gamecocks are probably in it a lot more than they were with Jalen, and I'm not sure that he's a lock uh, to go to Tennessee with his brother or Alabama or Georgia. So we'll see sort of how things end up with him. But, you know, you got the official visit scheduled, so that's uh, that's always a plus, uh, I think, and that's the first visit he, he scheduled. So coming home uh, to Columbia. His parents, from what I understand, have moved to Florida. Uh, so he's actually – you know, the family is now in Florida and not in Columbia anymore. So I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but, you know, we'll see sort of uh, what happens with all that. <clears throat> Board of Trustees uh, reform. Hmm. I'm going to dive into this in the analysis segment and just wanted to say that uh, I am severely disappointed in the South Carolina State Senate. I believe that, uh, you know, they missed a chance to really do something good for the university. Uh, I think as far as who's to blame, we'll get into all that here in a little bit, because uh, the answer really is, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, I think we could point to some folks, you know, uh, but the question is why, what was the motivation behind it? I think we know the motivation for some, uh, maybe not for others, but uh, a missed opportunity. You know, and as much as I think the House of Representatives in the state worked to do this and get it done, you know, the Senate completely screwed it up. Uh, even with changing the bill, you know, they could have passed their version of the bill and, and, and come with the House in June with a special committee and worked it out and got a final version. Uh, but that didn't happen. They just ran out the clock on it. And uh, that's disappointing. Uh, in my opinion, and I've, I've made my opinion known, uh, you know, and there's a lot of opinions out there <clears throat> and a lot of people that, you know, publicly may not say that they're working behind the scenes to kill things like this. But uh, I, uh, you know, it's happened. And I, I think that the University of South Carolina academically and athletically will continue to be held back as long as this uh, type of reform uh, is not, uh, you know, not um, as long as this type of reform is not passed. Uh, let's just put it that way. Uh, and so that's that's very, very, very disappointing, uh, in my opinion. And that, that was a big piece of news that broke late last week. And I made my opinion. It looked like they were going to pass it and then not. And they didn't. And they killed it. And then I was working a lot of my sources, um, you know, through the weekend on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, about all this. And it's just uh, a major disappointment, you know. And, and I think there's some Gamecocks uh, over in the House of Representatives in the General Assembly who were pretty mad uh, about this. Um, and then some Gamecocks, allegedly, that aren't. So uh, we'll see sort of what happens there. Uh, all right. So uh, an announcement for Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Um you guys know I've been kicking around the idea of doing this daily uh, since JB and Goldwater went off the air. Uh, I think there's an opportunity for a Gamecock affiliated show. Uh, not that that's all that they did. You know, they were sort of a broader uh, sports talk show every single day. Um, and so, uh, you know, obviously here we're Gamecock focused and probably won't get into 
a lot of other schools. I mean, I think broadly we can speak about college football on a daily basis, broad topics and things like that, and have some guests that are, you know, big picture college football people. But uh, it'll be Gamecock affiliated. Now that's tough. Uh, two hour show a day uh, based on one school uh, is going to be tough. But I've decided to do it. And we're going to launch it in July, right before the preseason. Uh, I've got a co-host slash producer lined up. He's an unknown. You've never heard of him, but I think he'll do well in this spot. It just, you know, I I couldn't just do this by myself because there's a lot of, you know, technical things to stream it live on, on YouTube and Twitter and all the things JB and Goldwater did uh, when you got to, you know, you serve ads into it and stuff like that. You know, that's a, that's a challenge. And it's tough for somebody to do uh, alone. At the same time, I didn't want to ruin the voice uh, that this show has. Uh, in other words, by maybe partnering with someone who is known uh, and then it becomes not inside the Gamecocks. It becomes uh, something completely different. Uh, so here's what's going to happen. Um, you know, we'll have the daily show. If you guys, you know, love this podcast and all that, uh, you know, it'll be on podcast format. So, so if you, if you miss the live stream uh, from 11 to one every day, Monday through Friday, uh, we will uh, have that on podcast format. You also, uh, for those that just sort of like the, the quick hitting, you know, Gamecock stuff uh, for me, we will have a morning briefing kind of deal. Uh, uh, it'll be called inside the Gamecocks, the podcast, and then the show will be called inside the Gamecocks, the show. Uh, and it will also be available and we're talking, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, uh, in the morning, going to get it up really early. Uh, so you guys will have that for your morning commute every day. If you make a morning commute, uh, and so really you're going to end up with like 10 different shows a week compared to the two to four that we have now. So there's a lot more content coming your way, uh, with inside the game Cox. I, I think that, you know, when I look at the numbers for this show, uh, they're outstanding. Uh, it's popular. The biggest complaint I've gotten about it is we don't do it often enough. Uh, I think a daily format, you know, both in terms of, you know, visibility and numbers and revenue wise uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it gives me something kind of an anchor to my day every day, <laughs> which I think, you know, just personally, that's important to me. Uh, so I look forward to that launching in July and uh, we're going to wait till July because that's kind of when that gives us enough time before the preseason to kind of get the kinks out. Right. Uh, you know, and we may even do some trial runs, uh, you know, two, three days uh, in July before a hard launch. And we'll certainly let you guys know uh, about that. I I'll tell you right now, we're streaming it on YouTube. We're going to stream it on the Big Spur YouTube channel. So be youtube.com slash the Big Spur. Uh, so go hit that subscribe button. That's free, uh, as all this subscription stuff is with podcasts or YouTube or whatever, uh, just so you guys are aware uh, of, of the live stream or whatever. You can also uh, follow on Twitter at the Big Spur Pod. That's where we'll be streaming this um, on that Twitter channel and maybe on Facebook, maybe on the Inside the Gamecocks Facebook page. I need to look into that a little bit uh, as well. Uh, and so go like that page, facebook.com slash Inside the Gamecocks. It's real easy to do. Uh, and we certainly appreciate uh, each and every one of our listeners uh, if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be able to do this. Uh, but I think I think there's a since JB and Goldwater went off, I, I think there's a need for it. You know, a daily streaming Gamecock show or whatever. 
Uh, I just needed to kind of find the right formula, the right team uh, to get it done. And uh, I think I found that. So I'm happy uh, and excited um, about the future uh, of that product and, and being able to talk Gamecocks uh, every single day uh, with a shorter pod and then a longer big show. And we will certainly uh, have all that for you. Uh, and we're excited about it. All right, heading into the analysis segment. That's always sponsored by Cindy Searfoss, realtor of Caldwell Banker Kane, right there in my hometown of Spartanburg. She's married to a diehard Gamecock fan, and she's been in the upstate for over 35 years and would love to help you with all of your real estate needs. You can contact Cindy at 864-414-5271 or email her, ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E.com. Spartanburg County, Greenville County, Cherokee, Union, uh, Anderson, Oconee, Greenville, I mean, anywhere in the upstate, Union, I say Union, don't want to leave Union out, right? Uh, Cindy can help you with your real estate needs. We know the market's crazy right now. Uh, it still is. I've said that for like six months. I keep waiting for it to change. It hasn't. But that's okay because, uh, you know, when I moved back to South Carolina full-time, uh, part-time living in Illinois now, uh, I will uh, I will definitely be in the market. So hopefully the market, by the time I'm ready to buy, uh, is kind of smoothed out. Uh, so again, Cindy Searfoss, Caldwell Banker Kane, 864-414-5271, right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue in my hometown of Sparkle City, uh, a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Please tell her JC sent you. That helps me out a whole bunch. By the way, the iHealth Consulting mailbag is full. So I appreciate all of you guys uh, with that. So analysis of baseball, let's start with that. Um, doesn't look like the Gamecocks are going to make the NCAA tournament barring a huge run in Hoover. I, you know, pitching-wise, uh, and this is, you know, in, in that kind of format with that large of a field of tournament, you know, I, I just think the pitching situation uh, really kills the Gamecocks' chances before they start. I mean, they'd really have to – get on a big run, get hot from the plate, protect their pitching. I mean, you're talking about a big tournament uh, with a lot of rounds and a lot of potential games there. And so that's, uh, you know, that's uh, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. It's a challenge going to Florida this weekend. It's a challenge playing Charlotte in the mid- midweek with this bunch. Um, you know, I, I think in a, on the reverse side of that, in a four-team regional – you know, you kind of pare that down. You know, maybe the Gamecocks would have enough. They win the first two, fight off whatever challenger they've got. Uh, you could see that happen, but you can't really see that happening in, in a tournament as large as the SEC tournament with that that field. And I don't need to mention how bad Carolina's been in Hoover. Um, so let's just assume they're not going to make it. I mean, and look, I, do I want that now? I mean, I'd, I'd love to see something crazy good happen to this program uh, and they make it in by the skin of their teeth and, you know, do make some noise maybe. Uh, even if they don't make it in, I think it would be, uh, you know, quite an accomplishment and, and all that. But, you know, I, I kind of thought – I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought that uh, this was it. And I, and I broke it all down, body of work-wise, baseline standard, uh, not being met most years or half the years under Kingston. Uh, but then there's another way to look at it. I, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, if you just look at it over the, 
in the scope of this one season, right? And then take away the COVID year. Um, and you're like, well, but if you don't count COVID year, it's two out of three, one super, one regional host. Um, this is really year four. You did have a historically bad year in year two. Uh, but if you take all that out, and look, I'm not saying I agree with this because I don't. I don't. I, I you know, I, I wish Mark Kingston the best. I, I hope if he's back next year for another season that, you know, they get to Omaha, make big things happen, and live up to the standard of this program. I mean, you guys know I'm not sitting here bashing him uh, personally, you know, as a coach. I just think that this program has standards. The standards are not being met. Uh, you fired Frank Martin for men's basketball for, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Everybody wanted to go back to the NCAA tournament. I, I understand that. But, you know, he was five games above 500, even in, in the SEC. You know, had it not been for the NIT rules, he'd have been sitting on like seven postseasons in 10 years. And, and really two that he missed were his first two, which is a bad situation. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, you know, is it a little hypocritical? I don't know. You know, is the buyout – because I didn't believe the buyout was an issue, but, you know, you hear that maybe they don't want to spend the $1.5 million. I think that's awful if that's the reason that, that they're holding serve. You know, and I don't think it's just because of that. I think it's because, you know, you look at this season and there's injuries and, and things that were out of the control of the staff. I think that, you know, he's got a brand new coaching staff here. Uh, I know John Whittle, you know, as far as the assistants go, he thinks they're all really good. Um, and they're all just now getting started. Uh, there's a lot of good young players on the team that will, should be back next year. Uh, can they hit the transfer portal and, and get some help? You know, that, that's the question now. Uh, if they do indeed keep Kingston, uh, you know, you, the SEC is not going to get any easier in baseball, right? <laughs> it's, it's the premier baseball conference in the country. Um, you know, and, and, and so, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Now, you know, from what I'm told about the situation, the, the feeling now is he's back but that could always change. You know, they're going to let the season play out. But uh, I think if they do keep him, uh, you know, that's, you know, you, you double down if you're Ray Tanner and that's what well, is what it is. You know, I mean, I think you, if it doesn't get any better, you, you know, this is, and I, I talk a lot about things Ray gets blamed for that he shouldn't, but this is one thing that, you know, the AD needs to be held accountable for if it doesn't work out. Uh, and you can get behind in the sport, too, with the way they recruit so early and things like that. I mean, you can get behind in a heartbeat. Uh, now, the transfer portal, you know, and in theory, the portal was supposed to help them at the plate this year, but they still didn't, you know, knock the cover off the ball a lot. I, I think it's gotten a lot better down the stretch, Sunday being the exception. But, uh, you know, I – I don't know. I just, you know, some of the the pitching was one thing, and then some of the same old problems, you know, reared their ugly head. But, you know, right now the take is Kingston's probably back, and uh, or the, the info, not the take. The take would be my opinion. My opinion is there's too many good coaches out there that would take this job to continue to, you know, prop up, you know, someone that has not – met standards. I mean, you, you could even make an argument, you can make an argument both ways. Now I'm not completely dismissing it. 
the other side of this, I just don't necessarily agree. You know, I don't, I don't feel as strongly about this as the BOT thing, where there's really no uh, intellectual reason uh, or, or really no reason at all uh, to have not come to a, <laughs> a, a, a solution on that thing. Uh, this is more of a kind of a strictly a sports deal and, uh, you know, standards being met and all that. And, and do you excuse, because that's what it is, do you, do you excuse uh, this season, you know, this season? And uh, do you believe that had the season not been canceled in 2020, that team was going somewhere? And that's up for debate. Uh, but, I mean, you never know. You can't predict how that season would have gone. And so if you err on the side of caution and you say, well, you know, look at these two of the three seasons were pretty good. And, you know, because last season, <clears throat> I'll tell you this, it, it, the, the, the way it ended was very disappointing. I mean, you know, just from a number of standpoints, you, you've got <clears> – <throat> you had COVID restrictions most of the year. Finally, those are lifted. The, the stadium's packed against Old Dominion, and then they just can't hit the ball, you know. And you had pitchers out there pitching their butts off, and you just couldn't hit the ball. You know, then Virginia quickly eliminates you <clears throat> the next day on your home field. Then they play on your home field, Dallas Baptist, and they get to go to Omaha. And, you know, maybe Dallas Baptist had, would beat the Gamecocks. I don't know, but uh, that was a missed opportunity. Uh, and, you know, the postseason, which is what this program is judged on, uh, was disappointing. The team did not meet standard. Okay. The regular season, I, you know – that was a brutally tough year in the SEC. Mississippi State won it all. They were really good. I mean, there were six, seven teams in the league that could beat anybody in the country uh, in a series on a given weekend. Uh, and, and the Gamecocks last year did not – they did not get to play A&M, who was down, or Alabama, who was down, or Auburn, who was down. You know, they, they got to play uh, every tough team from the West. <laughs> so – you know, you, you look at it from that standpoint, you know, I, I it's hard for me to sit there and say last year was a success. Uh, but I think, you know, if you're one that doesn't just just if you're one that's not going to, you know, realize that the postseason is the end all be all for this program, which it is, in my opinion, um, you look at it as, as a relatively successful season, um, you know, and so that's probably what they're looking at. Uh, like I said, don't agree with it if it happens, but I am just your humble podcast host and website owner. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't have a say in the situation, but uh, right now, you know, things could always get worse, you know, but right now it looks like uh, indeed the Gamecocks will, will have Mark to back for a fifth full year, sixth overall, if you don't count the COVID thing. Uh, on to the board of trustees, you know, I, like I said, very, very disappointed uh, in the state Senate, uh, you know, and, and I went through all that. They killed the bill at the end. So here we go. I mean, we, we have to wait till next year, 2023, for somebody to take it back up. Uh, Jay Lucas, the Speaker of the House, or former Speaker of the House, that, that really was beating this drum in the House, he, he's gone. So there's a new Speaker. Um, by the way, Jay Lucas did a great job on this. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but uh, he was outstanding, along with a lot of other people, uh, including Dick Harpootlian. I know some of you are not Dick Harpootlian 
fans. He is an acquired taste. I, I don't know that I am either most of the time, but you know, the truth about him is behind the scenes on this bill. Cause you know, he's a Clemson guy, but a bunch of his constituents are Carolina people. Uh, he wanted this done, you know, and, and he was on board with the house version and he fought tooth and nail to get this done. So I, uh, you know, as misguided as some of his comments were about athletics uh, and spending in athletics, you know, I, I thought overall his heart was in the right place, as, as were a lot of other people. So we all know Gerald Malloy, uh, a state senator, and um, Brad Hutto, another state senator, both Carolina grads, by the way, killed it. Uh, they were directly responsible. Um, and then the question becomes, why is it because of Senate leadership, guys like Harvey Peeler, who's a Clemson guy, you know, was it because, you know, I, I don't know, I, I can't think of any good reason other than, you know, spite or the rivalry, which should not even be a factor in this, uh, because you're not a steward of Clemson University or the University of South Carolina when you're elected, you're a steward of the state. Um I can't think of, of any reason other than spite for leadership to kill it. But as was pointed out to me uh, by a member on the big spur.com is that if leadership wanted it to pass, it would have. And that's the bottom line, you know, so your, your leadership in the South Carolina state Senate is just as much to blame for this as Hutto and, uh, and Malloy. And the question is why, I mean, I understand Hutto's movement because you know his law partner is um a, me- a current sitting member of the board that was one of the five that was about to lose his spot. So I understand, unfortunately, that's a uh, a personal, I guess, uh, motivation, and that shouldn't play a factor, but it did. Uh, and then, but then Malloy, I have no idea, no idea, none. Why? I mean, would it be? I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of beside myself as to why that would happen. I mean, and, and, you know, maybe the Senate leadership kind of was counting on him to help them kill it. I, and I, but then again, it gets to the question as to why, you know, the big mystery as to why they would, you know, other, other than on the surface, it would be a Clemson Carolina thing. I don't, I don't know the reason. And I can't, I can't imagine that. I mean, I guess, I guess you're right. You know, I, I can't imagine though that, you know, Clemson people would be that spiteful uh, about potential reform on a board of trustees in South Carolina. I, I just, uh, I don't get that. And I, I don't get, I just don't get it. I mean, and it, it's obviously been a clown show. I mean, there's no uh, reasonable debate uh, about that. Everything from ticking off donors to behind the scenes toxic behavior toward uh, members of the staff at the university to uh, and what did it for me was the, 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 the hearing um, and uh, the, the hearing and uh, the, the answers to the questions. I mentioned Dick Carpooley and you know, he fired those questions and I, I'm sitting there going, well, there, that's, there's two good, there, you know, there's, there's basically an answer you could give that would shut it down. And these guys were just agreeing with him. Oh, yeah, we shouldn't do buyouts. What? Uh, that's the price of doing business in the SEC. I mean, un- unbelievable. I mean, you know, you, you want to win. 
I mean, everybody expects everybody to win, and uh, and, and you're wanting to shut buyouts down, you know, and you vote against Lamont Paris's buyout, which is unprecedentedly low. I mean, come on, man, come on, and, and none of them. Uh, it was just like, uh, 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 I wish we didn't have them either. Other, I mean, some of them, we didn't, we don't know about this, and you know, whatever. Um. And they still didn't say, they still didn't get out of committee, even with those BS answers. They were not advanced. And so, now, and I'll say this, somebody could run against them. Uh, and those of you that are out there that have, have talked about wanting to be on the board of trustees, and I've talked to a couple of you, uh, if you're in their judicial circuit, you could challenge them. And chances are you're going to win. Because, uh, well, well, hold on, let me back up on that. I, I would think that you'd have a good chance of winning, you know, because I don't know that they're not, I don't know if those guys are going to get out of committee again, you know, and whoever gets advanced gets put up for a vote. And so, uh, and some of the new members that they voted on this past time, because of all the focus on the five, you know, some of the new members I've heard are, are really, you know, intelligent people that are going to do good things for South Carolina. Uh, and so you can always do that. You know, get information on how to do it and launch a campaign. You know, honestly, uh, I don't think I'm cut out to be a board of trustees member at a university. <laughs> I don't think I have the academic reputation to do it because uh, my GPA sucked in college. Uh, I graduated, though. Uh, you know, but that would be, you know, somebody would focus on that. I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have my uh, academic career from 20 something years ago. Uh, come back and be public record and, and all over the place. Plus, like I said, I don't live in South Carolina full time. Uh, if I did, though, I would get behind whoever was challenging these guys. You know, I mentioned Jay Lucas earlier. Maybe at some point he runs for a spot on the board of trustees. I think that got to be outstanding. I, I think that's your chair if you're looking for a new chair. And they need a new chair like tomorrow. You know, and I've mentioned that. So very disappointed. Uh, it's going to be a great mystery for a while as to why, you know, I don't think that the media in our state that covers higher education is interested in the topic enough. And uh, it's kind of funny, you know, the media sometimes will push for change uh, according to their worldview, but, you know, something that makes sense like this, that's obvious, you know, that would actually help South Carolina. <laughs> No, they don't, they don't talk about it. It's more like an ooh-wee, ooh-wee, you know, that kind of question. Um, so there we go. All right, so the baseball situation, like I mentioned, you know, are we going to still live up to standard? I mean, what, what's the deal there? Uh, finally, you know, I wrote a nice article uh, this weekend about the 2022 football schedule on um, – TheBigSpur.com. You can check that out for free. Actually, it's not a uh, not a uh, a premium piece. And I kind of look at the at the schedule, and I'm like, well, you know, it, it, it gets tricky. And kind of what hit me with it, guys, is uh, when I looked at it was the first four SEC games. That's what I'm going to talk about here. I mean, it. it it's 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 really tough. I mean, and, and realistically, South Carolina could be a much improved football team next year and start zero and four in the league. Now we all hope that doesn't happen, you know, and I hope it doesn't happen. But 
uh, you look at it because when you look at the schedule as a whole, you've got it, it's sort of front loaded with, you know, the I don't want to call them cupcakes because they're not. I call them the 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 neighborhood watch <laughs> because the the three you know all four non conference games are within at most two and a half hours of Columbia, including Clemson. Um, but the other three are Charlotte, Georgia State, and SC State. SC State's obviously in Orangeburg. Charlotte's obviously in Charlotte. Georgia State's in Atlanta. So they're kind of neighborhood teams that you're playing. But the neighborhood watch is all, you know, front-loaded uh, into the schedule. I mean, and so you look at the schedule uh, as it is, and you're like, well, you know, there's a chance to, for, to win some games early and get off to a great start. And there is in the non-conference. But then if you take those games out, this is where it gets, gets a little tricky. Uh, you're at Arkansas, you've got Georgia at home, you're at Kentucky, and then after the open date, A&M at home. Now, this runs through October 22nd. And then there's four straight conference games, Missouri, Vandy, Florida, and Tennessee, which are a little less daunting. And You know, Arkansas is supposed to be really good next year. Um, you know, going out there, uh, and then they have a big home game with Cincinnati to open it up, but then they play Carolina. Uh, first time Carolina's been out there since 2013. Gamecocks are on a three-game win streak against the Hogs. Uh, but, but it's a good team, and they've got good coaches. Kendall Browles, offensive coordinator. Barry Odom, defensive coordinator. Sam Pittman. They're going into year three. Uh, and K.J. Jefferson, a quarterback's back. Their backup quarterback, Malik Hornsby, is a pain. Uh, he's super duper fast. Saw him make some plays against Penn State. He entered the portal and then came back out and returned to Arkansas. You know, so the Hogs got, you know, they've got reason to be confident this year. And going out there, uh, first right of a second week of the season is tough. And then we know Georgia's going to be tough. Uh, and then at Kentucky, that's a place Carolina has not won since 2012. Uh, and then Texas A&M two weeks later, the Gamecocks have never beaten the Aggies. So, you know, you look at it and it's like, you know, because like I said, you look at the schedule, all Georgia State, Charlotte, SC State, there, there's some wins. But those first four SEC games are, are tough. I mean, there's no like Missouri at home uh, or Vanderbilt or anybody like that uh, to get that, you know, first SEC win. I don't, I don't want to call it a layup because they've lost three times against Missouri. Uh, but it, it just it, it's it's tough. Uh, and you can lose four four close ones and, by all accounts, be a much improved team uh, and be sitting at 0-4 by Halloween, you know, going into Halloween weekend against Missouri at home. Um, and so that's how tough it is. And I also mentioned on the bigspur.com, we're going to find out about the offensive line very, very early when breaking down the schedule because Georgia State's going to attack up front. They uh, When they beat Tennessee uh, up in Knoxville, uh, a couple of years ago, you know, that that offensive line at Tennessee got really much better as that season went on. <laughs> uh, but at the beginning, they were kind of finding their way. And uh, Georgia State, the, the info I got out of their camp afterwards was that was the worst offensive line they played faced. Uh, and so they're willing to attack you up front if they see a weakness. Uh, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. But uh, that's going to be very challenging. You know, Arkansas – uh, if they can get pressure with four, uh, which you hope they can't, but if they do, uh, that's going to be a long day because Barry Odom will drop everybody into coverage and your passing windows shrink. And if you're not blocking up front and you can't run the ball, uh, they're a very physical team, physical defense. We know about Georgia. 
And we know that, you know, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith are back, uh, even though they lost a lot of other great players. Uh, Kentucky is always pretty solid up front on defense. Gamecocks typically have trouble running it against them. Uh, they did not uh, two years ago and in 2019, uh, but uh, in 2021, they certainly did. And that's kind of been the formula for Kentucky to beat Carolina. They just outrush them in, in games. Now, the Gamecocks, I think in 14, outrushed them uh, and certainly did in 19. And then 2020 was sort of even. But that was that pandemic game where, you know, Carolina just wasn't going to stop anybody. And then, we, of course, we got Texas A&M. Their defensive line is going to be super talented and somewhat young but super talented, and then they come to Columbia after an open date uh, for both the Aggies and the Gamecocks. Gamecocks have an open date before them, uh, come off Kentucky, and then A&M plays at Alabama on October 8th, open date, then at South Carolina. You know, so maybe you catch them sleeping. I, I don't know. But uh, that's, you know, when you look at it like that, it's like, man, those first four SEC games, you you get out of them for, at two and two. I think you're cooking with uh, – Somebody told me cooking with grease isn't a uh, uh, a, uh, a term. Cooking with fire, I guess, something like that. Uh, but you know, uh, that's just kind of the schedule. And then you know, every year we sit here during the off season and talk about the schedule. And then sometimes it's tougher than what we think, and then sometimes it's easier because teams, you know, like last year, you know, you're sitting there looking, and Auburn controls its own destiny at six and two in the SEC West, and you're like, man, that Auburn game is going to be a bear. And it turns out, no. I mean, you, you watch Florida take Alabama to the wire in the swamp, and you're like, that Florida game is going to be tough, and it ended up not. Uh, so you never know. Uh, even within the season, you never know because teams rise and fall. So, you know, that's it. And we'll revisit the schedule as time goes on. <laughs> you know, I mean, you play at – these years where you, it used to be, you know, before Mark Stoops got to Kentucky, that the years you played at Bandy in Kentucky were good because then you had some other teams at home. And, you know, I, I think depending on who the West matchup is and, and the West, well, the West matchup is not favorable. Now, next year, 2023, you know, Carolina does play North Carolina to open it, but the West team is Mississippi State coming to Columbia. Jacksonville State replaced Liberty. So that's good. Um, you know, it's a little bit different. But, you know, the odd number of years, you're always going to be going uh, to Sanford Stadium. You're going to be going to Neyland Stadium. You'll be going to Missouri. And you'll be going to Kyle Field as the schedule stands today. Now, later this week, we're going to talk about the SEC schedule. And, uh, shoot, winter SEC meetings. Coming up in Destin here in a couple of weeks, they're, they're going to be talking about it. Now, I wouldn't be surprised to see some news. The latest thing floating around is pods or not necessarily pods, but three – there's the pod thing, and then there's three permanent opponents uh, for each team that, you know, it's not necessarily a pod. It's just three teams that, you know – in other words, Carolina plays, you know, Georgia, Kentucky, Florida every year. And then Georgia plays Carolina, Auburn, uh, Auburn, Florida, you know, because they're, they're not going to get rid of that Florida game. <laughs> and the Auburn series has been going for a long time down there. So – you know, now if it goes just to pods, it's going to be real interesting to see where Carolina lands and see if they do protect some of these games. I, you know, uh, Georgia Auburn, I think it's going to be protected. Um, I, I, you know, Tennessee, and I'm talking about like the cross division 
uh, permanent opponents. Now, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, uh, LSU, Florida to a certain extent. I think LSU and Florida, with as much controversy as they've had between those two schools in terms of hurricane outs and rescheduled games and, and stuff like that, uh, and then knowing how they pushed in 2012 uh, when they expanded, you know, people don't realize this. LSU wanted to play Carolina every year, and Florida wanted to play Texas A&M every year, and Carolina and Texas A&M were, Texas A&M were like, no, <laughs> that's not happening. Uh, and so the Gamecocks got A&M, which at the time was smart. I mean, A&M was a 6-6 six and six football team coming out of the Big 12. Uh, and LSU, you know, let's just say Carolina – uh, beat LSU once in 1994. Uh, first time they played them as SEC opponents, they tied them the next year, and the Tigers have won every battle since. You know, so why would you want to do that? <laughs> uh, take take your chances with AM. Now it hasn't worked out well, but uh, you know we'll see sort of what happens because you know that, that's the question if they go to pods like hard and fast pods, right? Uh, is that different teams have different motivations for who they want to play? So South Carolina could end up with a lot of different teams in the pot um, rather than, okay, Carolina wants to play Georgia, Kentucky, uh, Florida every year, or Georgia, Kentucky, Mandy, whoever, uh, even Missouri, uh, since Missouri thinks it's a rivalry and they do have uh, a trophy. Um, you know, and so then Georgia wants to play these teams, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I personally, you know, what's best for Carolina, anything but – Splitting into two divisions and moving Alabama and Auburn to the east and Missouri to the west. And I, I just, you know, I don't even think that – I don't think it's going to happen because even with non-conference games, which that's another big piece of this, they're going to go to non-conference games. So I don't know what happens to, like, the home and home with Miami coming up, the NC State, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. Uh, I, I would be shocked, and, and I think it would be a bad move, uh, if the Gamecocks tried to get out of the Chick-fil-A kickoff in 2025 uh, against the Hokies in Atlanta, just because that's such a big showcase game, um, you really need you really need to play in that game. I don't care how tough the schedule ends up being, uh, you really need to play in that game. So, you know, and the, and the non-conference that year could end up being Virginia Tech in Atlanta, App State at home, if I'm not mistaken, and then Clemson would be at home as well. So who knows? But uh, that's 2025. We'll worry about that later. But, I, you know, I, I think the Gamecocks, you know, either any way you slice it, you know, and if they go to a 3-6-6 model, which, which would be, you know, three permanent opponents for everybody, and then you play six, and then, then the other six. And then so within four years, you play every team in the league. That seems to be what they want. And in that way, I mentioned Tennessee-Bama. Uh, the Tennessee folks and Bama folks, Maybe the Bama folks, I don't know. <laughs> uh, because if you're Bama, you know, I mean, okay, we won't play Tennessee every other year. We'll play them, we'll play them, we'll play them every other year. But then in these other numbered years, we'll play Texas or somebody like that. that that's fine. I mean, that's, you know, a little variety is, I think, what a lot of SEC fans want. Um, there's some games that are, you know, Alabama, Auburn, obviously, is going to be played every year. Georgia, Florida is obviously going to be played every year. Uh, that kind of thing. Texas and Oklahoma will be played every year. Uh, but then there's a lot of other stuff that's like, well, if it's every other year, I mean, are we really losing that tradition? I mean, you know, because that's kind of the the the, the uh, model de jour that's out there. You know, in other words, like I mentioned the Missouri game because it's got a trophy and all that. 
Well, Carolina's still going to play them every couple of years. It's just every other year instead of, and, you know, fine. I like that. I mean, I think that, that folks, that means that one, once every four years, you can get to go to Austin, Texas, Norman, Oklahoma, and Baton Rouge, and Tuscaloosa, and Auburn, and uh, Fayetteville, Starkville, Oxford, you know, all those places that, uh, you know, Carolina, it's a decade sometimes before they go play. Yeah, so we'll see. But I think I think just about any of the models, if you're the Gamecocks or, you know, it's six of one, half dozen of another, except for that, you know, eight-team divisions um, with Bama and Auburn coming east, that just adds, you know, two programs that are, are in the big six, and that puts uh, most of the big six in the east. You know, in the big six, for those that don't know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia. Uh, because those are the only schools that have won the league since 19, since the early 60s when uh, Archie Manning was uh, playing at Ole Miss and they won. So that just shows you, early 60s, man. I mean, that's a long time. <laughs> uh, you know, and there's a reason why they're the big six. And, uh, I mean, even the non-big six teams to make it to Atlanta, Arkansas has made it three times, Missouri's twice, which I know still – Sticks in the crawl of some Gamecock fans. Um, Gamecocks have made it once. Mississippi State's made it once. And I believe that's it. Kentucky's never made it. Vandy's never made it. Ole Miss has never made it. Uh, A&M has not made it since they've been in the league. You know, so, yeah, there you go. I mean, it's, it's you know, obviously Texas and Oklahoma haven't made it because they're not in the league yet. But that's uh, that would be surprising to me. I think that's the worst – I, I don't even know that it's good for like Georgia, you know, or Tennessee or uh, Auburn having to go, you know, back to the East. I think a lot of Auburn fans would like to be in the East because before the league expanded in 92, you know, they enjoy playing Tennessee and Florida every year. They play Florida every single season, but, uh, and they're kind of shoved over toward the you know, Eastern time zone as it is. But uh you know, to me, I, I just don't know that that works out well for anybody but Alabama. Uh, and, you know, Alabama's going to be fine no matter where they play. So uh, I would be shocked if that were the case. I, I don't even think there's any kind of uh, uh, momentum for that model. Uh, because then, you know, you, if, if you go seven and then two permanent opponents, because you got to play the teams in your division, or the, I'm sorry, two rotating opponents. I just don't know. I mean, that's just going to – I mean, it would take care of Tennessee, Bama, and Auburn, Georgia, I guess. But, I mean, I heard LSU and Bama would like to continue to play. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, – I just I, – I have not read or heard any kind of momentum uh, for that happening. All right, going to let you hear from Tony Pope, State Farm Insurance, and we'll be right back with the mailbag. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance 
insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, time for the iHelp Consulting Mailbag. And there's two ways to get in the mailbag. First of all, you can yeah, tweet to us at the Big Spur Pod and follow that Twitter account. That's uh, that's where we're going to be streaming when we stream on Twitter. I, I don't know how many of you caught JV and Goldwater on Twitter, but that's where we're going to be streaming, streaming, streaming. Okay. Um, and uh, certainly that Twitter account, I'm big, pretty happy. Uh, up to 856 followers would like to get. Over a thousand by uh, the start of football season, and I think we can definitely do that. The first um, tweet comes in from Nick. He says, "JC, it will be great if you schedule an event sometime during the season for us Gamecocks to get together. Maybe something like you did in Atlanta in the past. Maybe preseason or pregame." Yeah, we we had uh, we had those watch parties at Dive Bar in Atlanta, which were awesome because I lived in Atlanta at the time, and we had a nice trivia night in the preseason right before. Carolina lost to uh, North Carolina to open the 2019 season. Um, I, you know, the problem, I, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, the problem would be logistics and, and getting everybody together, but, but hold on to your hat. Cause I, you know, there may be some things going on uh, in the works that could provide for, you know, maybe something on a Friday night or something before a home game uh, that would be kind of fun to do, but certainly not avoiding you guys. I love meeting people and, and getting out and doing it. Uh, but that's, uh, that's the deal there. Gamecock pastor has rolled in, uh, with a strong, strong mailbag representation here. Uh, tremendously strong. <laughs> uh, he said, you can, you can spread those out, but nah, that's fine. I'm going to, I'm going to get them all done today, pastor. Cause, uh, this is impressive. Uh, first tweet comes in. He says, Rattler hype is picking up. Some season predictions are giving South Carolina the possibility of nine and three. Do you think it's better for this year's team to fly under the radar or have some media hype going into week one? Uh, my theory on this is you never want to be that team that everybody says is going to compete with Georgia or Florida in the East because those guys have been kind of cursed lately, including the Gamecocks in 2018. Uh, Tennessee in 2020, uh, Missouri in 2019. Last year, it was either Missouri or Kentucky, probably, you know, 50-50 on those. But, uh, you know, obviously Missouri did not have uh, the season they thought they would at six and seven. Uh, Kentucky did. They were 10 and three, but, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they – I mean, I, I think they probably met expectations, surpassed expectations. So, unless you're Kentucky, and but I, you know, I don't know. But Missouri was a big pick last year, and so, um, you know, I think that's the that's the deal uh, with that is you you want to avoid being that team because things haven't worked out for that team. Uh, you know, I don't have a problem with the Gamecocks getting picked fifth or fourth or whatever in the SEC East. Uh, I get it. You know, there's some darlings uh, out there that that, that are going to get hyped. And I, and I believe, honest to God, um, I believe that, uh, you know, it's best to not be, you know, because then you kind of sneak up on people. Hey, you know, 
uh, kind of like Arkansas did last year. And there's some similarities to uh, Arkansas last year and the Gamecocks this year in terms of, you know, you had a team last year that looked kind of down, uh, but was in some, some, you know, won some games that people were kind of surprised about and won the bowl game offseason momentum. They've added some pieces, you know, and then, then Arkansas, of course, got off the great start last season. So could the Gamecocks do it? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I mentioned the schedule. Those first four SEC games are tough. So uh, I think that, you know, with Rattler, uh, you know, he's in the Heisman, uh, some Heisman odds that I've seen. And I think that's fine because he was a Heisman candidate at Oklahoma. Uh, and the Gamecocks did a good job of uh, not only like retaining some of the weapons for him, like uh, Jaheim Bell and uh, Josh Van. But you got Stogner coming in at tight end. You, you got Juice Wells that's there. You got Corey Rucker coming in. Uh, you got an improved Amarian Brown. You got an improved Xavier Leggett. Uh, and you got a Landon Sampson coming in. Uh, and Xavier Short, maybe. So, you know, there are some options there at receiver that were not present last season. Uh, and, look, I, I'm going to tell you this. As crazy as the quarterback situation was at, at Carolina last year, the Gamecocks were not exactly loaded at receiver. Uh, they had some trouble, you know, with, uh, you know, especially that Clemson game when Van was hobbled, you know, it, it was probably, it was a problematic situation. So, um, and I think that this year is going to be much better receiver wise than the last two years. You know, I, I think you'd probably have to go back to 2019, 2018 to have the number of potential weapons in the passing game. And then you have an experienced quarterback. So why not? And the run game should be good. I mean, hopefully, you know, and so we'll see that how that happens. Pastor continues. JC heard Josh Pate's take on Williams Bryce being the most underrated game day atmosphere. Having been to a few venues and plan on taking my family to road trips, what are your top three SEC road trips for Gamecock fans? Stadium, uh, town, and atmosphere being considered. Okay, so I'm gonna give you mine. And I wrote an article about this a while back, and maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I'm not going in that exact order because these things change. But my favorite road trip is Vanderbilt. And uh, it's just because of Nashville. There's so much to do. It's not hard to get a ticket. The Gamecocks usually win. Um, so Vanderbilt's a, a good spot. You know, and really that stadium's small, but there's not a bad seat in the house. Uh, the visitor stands are usually kind of packed in together. So it is a, it is a good crowd. Uh, on the road and you know Carolina it, it's kind of funny they go up there this year they haven't been on the road since 2018 uh, up in Nashville and in that game Carolina ended up having them outnumbered at the end because there was a big rain delay Gamecocks won 37-14 uh, and all the Vandy folks went home and the Gamecock fans stayed and so uh, it seems like it's been a while since Carolina's played up there. They played up there this year in early November. You know, number two for me would be LSU. Uh, I, you know, and that's another kind of big city thing is you can stay in New Orleans. And sometimes there's shuttles up for the game. Uh, if not, Baton Rouge is not a bad drive. Uh, I love the atmosphere there, the stadium. It's loud. It's one of the best in the SEC. You know, for my money, when they're crowded, uh, you know, because I've been to some games in Gainesville where it's not this way. But uh, for my money, when it's packed, 
uh, LSU, Florida, Auburn in that order as far as the top three go. And I have not been to a game at Texas A&M. I've been to that campus many, many times for work, but I've never been to a game. So maybe A&M would uh, factor in. But um, as far as the, the crowds go, I think Florida, Auburn, LSU, LSU number one, Auburn and Florida probably tied for two with me because Auburn always brings it. I mean, that everything from the War Eagle to, to everything they do down there is, is always fun. Uh, and, and then number three would be Ole Miss. Uh, and it's another one of those proximity things. I kind of like going to Tunica, hang, hanging out in the casinos, and then uh, bussing over to Oxford. You know, that place, as far as history goes, uh, in terms of, you know, Faulkner and, and, and all the people that have been on that campus, the Grove, uh, it, it's kind of dripping with traditions. Very interesting place to go. And their fans have been pretty cool uh, every time I've been there. Of course, you know, as far as fan bases go, I you know, the only times I've ever been like rude, been, you know, <laughs> called out where it was at Kentucky and Bandy of all places. Uh and maybe Mississippi State one time. So, you know, you think about that, you're like, wow, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. You know, been to Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia all the time. Never had a problem. So that's interesting. But, yeah, that would be my top three right now off the top of my head. Uh, looking forward to, to going to Austin, Texas, going to Norman, Oklahoma, and hopefully getting to Kyle Field at some point there. Pastor continues. JC, I just read Hale's article on TBS about DB targets ranging from Denson to Peel to the 2024 targets. When looking at 2023, which two DBs are most important for the staff to go after? Uh, Denson's highly ranked. Peel picking up hype as well. Peel's Georgia right now, I think. Uh, Sharif Denson, obviously, if you can get him, you can. Uh, I think the guy you got to really take a look at, though, that they have to, they need to get because they're the early leaders and he's picking up steam is Jalon Kilgore from Georgia. I, 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 you know, if there's, you know, if there's one guy, I think right now, I'd say got to go get him. It's Kilgore. Uh, it's definitely Kilgore. And finally, finally, final question from the Pastor Game Cup Pastor. If you feel free to, uh, space out my questions, just trying to generate more in hopes of a daily show. Well, you got your hope, man. Just wait till July. Has anyone asked about Joey Hunter lately? So much promise early than the injury. Any chance of seeing him in the two deep this year? I have not heard much about him. In fact, I, you know, with Joey, I, I sort of thought this may be when he hit the portal, I, you know, just because you haven't heard much about him and he has struggled with injuries and, and things like that. You know, coming in, he was kind of considered a bigger corner. Um, folks in Georgia really thought he was, you know, very underrated uh, coming out. Uh, played a little here and there, but you just haven't heard much about him since the new staff got here at all, uh, except for some practice stuff here and there. So I'm not sure. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about him right now, Pastor. I'm not really projecting him to play. Uh, a whole lot this year that could change though. He may be one of those guys that finally gets healthy and shoots up the depth depth chart. Uh, I've kind of always thought he's more of a safety than a corner. Uh, I don't know that either coaching staff has agreed with me, uh, but that's kind of where things stand with him. Uh, you know, he and uh, who's the other, another guy I get asked about a lot, hot rod fitting. I get asked about him a lot. I, I don't project right now either one of those two to play. Now, I never give up old guys. Uh, you know, I've learned the lesson over the years. The minute you say, 
oh, Jalen Foster, you know, he goes out, has a season that's an All-American. So in this game, you never you never deal, you know, uh, in absolutes uh, if you could possibly help it. Uh, you can have a hot take or two here or there and, and be wrong, and, and then you got to live with it. But uh, as far as players go, I don't ever count guys that have a chance coming out of high school. Uh, I don't ever count them out. You know, I always kind of say, hey, well, you know, this guy, you know, just give him time and we'll see. And you know, sometimes it doesn't work out, uh, but sometimes it does. You know, so we'll see. Speaking of that, I, I didn't mention this in news and notes. Devontae Davis, who transferred out of Carolina, looks like he's probably heading to the ACC. Uh, I think he I think he announces today. Uh, he's an Aiken graduate. I, th- I think that Virginia is the team to beat with him. Uh, and I'll say this, number one, Virginia probably needs defensive lineman. Number two, Davis was decent. Uh, when he uh, actually was healthy and played, uh, they really liked him coming out of junior college. Uh, the issue was he just got passed by uh, T.J. Sanders and, and Nick Nick Barrett, and you know, so playing time was probably not going to happen for him. Uh, but you know, Des Kitchings is familiar with him; he's at Virginia now. Tony Elliott probably is too, uh, having been at Clemson all that long and recruited the state like he did. Uh, so you know, you know, they've probably done their homework on him and good for Devontae. Good for Devontae there. EJ Jenkins has a crystal ball prediction in for Georgia Tech, uh, which I think would be a good fit for him. Tech needs all the guys they can get, you know, as far as uh, playmakers go on the offensive side of the football. You know, again, Jenkins is not an outside receiver. That's what he played most of the time at Carolina. Uh, other than he's a hell of a blocker uh, out there. And, and I admire, you know, the guy, because it was kind of hard getting him passes last year. I think when they targeted him, he, he did all right. Pretty good sometimes. Um, but he got out there and just blocked his butt off. Bowl game, Clemson game, I mean, you name it. He was out there blocking. Shoot, for a receiver like that, you know, that's not getting a lot of touches, uh, that, mean, that means you're a pretty good team player, right, with, uh, with regards to going and doing your job. Uh, so that's what happened. There's a couple of notes on the portal. Uh, all right. So the next way to get in the mailbag is to email me uh, inside the gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, so be sure to, uh, you know, check that out. It's, uh, you know, the easiest way to get in. We don't always have tweets, but we usually have uh, emails. Um, and the, the mailbag is sponsored by uh, iHelp Consulting. If you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money, and that's where iHelp Consulting can help. iHelp is a Gamecock-owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses, whether you might be paying too much for credit card processing, insurance, or anything else. iHelp can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if iHelp can't save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If iHelp can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So there's no risk. So call or text Daniel Owens at iHelp, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? And that's uh, Daniel. Uh, He's great at what he does. Um, Like I said, if you're a business owner, there's no reason why you don't need to call 843-372-5713 and tell them JC sent you. Uh, because you know, the way he gets paid, it's not like most consultants. You're like, give me a hundred thousand and I'll save you three. Well, it's simple math will determine that's not worth it. 
Uh, he doesn't get paid except a percentage of your first year savings. That's it. That's what he gets paid. So uh, I think it's a great deal for all business owners out there. Daniel's been with me a long time as a sponsor of the IHOPE Consulting Mailbag. And the first question comes in uh, from a Daniel. He said, hi, JC. How soon will we know if NIL is ultimately going to help the Gamecocks or if it will be detrimental to recruiting the athletes we need in the sports fans most care about? This recruiting cycle or 2024 and beyond. I, you know, I think right now in football, it's going to affect some, but I like where they're at with a lot of guys. I mean, and there's still a lot of guys out there right now that aren't necessarily demanding NIL deals and stuff. And, uh, and then they're good. They're good players. Um, I think, you know, the university is set to bring this NIL thing in house and, uh, I'll have an update on Carolina Rise here soon. Um, essentially, what I think, you know, essentially I got the green light to keep going with it. Um, and then, you know, we'll kind of see what happens in the coming months. But I think that will help because I think this fan base, you know, you guys that listen to me and the guys on the Big Spur are a very, very small part of the fan base. And, and even then, uh, it's been tough sledding, not necessarily convincing people to give money, uh, but convincing people you know, how necessary it is. Uh, and, and I think with the university behind it and, you know, they, they changed the state law so they could do it. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot more, uh, you know, I guess it's going to be a lot easier, uh, I think, to rally the Gamecock nation because in other words, you know, I, I'm sitting here, I'm me, you know, and then a lot of you trust me and like me and know me. And, you know, those of that have signed up for memberships of Carolina Rise and those that will do it in the future, you know, I'll, I appreciate that. And I know it, but not everybody knows me and likes me. Not everybody, you know, not everybody, definitely not everybody likes me. I'll tell you that right now. Um, so it's much easier for like the university to say, hey, tack on $20 a month to your Gamecock club membership or your season tickets. Uh, and then have thousands of, of people that can do that. Uh, and, and that's a, you know, kind of a trusted deal. And so in my opinion, you know, I want to see what happens on that end, you know, before I think it, it's going to be detrimental. Now, uh, Julian Phillips, the five-star basketball player that went to Tennessee, absolutely NIL played a factor with that. Trust me, <laughs> it did. You know, Malachi Smith, the transfer from Chattanooga, if he decides not to turn pro, will NIL be a factor? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's not that it hasn't been costly right now, but it's not been extremely detrimental to the program. Uh, Joseph, my man, Joseph says right now, May 11th, uh, five days ago. Sorry for getting back to you this late. Better chance to win at Arkansas, beat Georgia at home. I think eight four is a reasonable expectation. Thanks, Joseph. I, you know, I, I'm going to say Georgia. <laughs> Sounds crazy. Uh, and last time I picked the Gamecocks to beat Georgia, I think it was 2018 and they lost 41, 17, but different coaching staff, different bunch of players. Uh, you know, I think the Bulldogs are going to be really good. I think they should be the favorite in the East, uh, without question. Uh, I also know that they lost a lot of players. Uh, I also know Carolina, you know, when you look at that game last year, as shorthanded as the Gamecocks were, you know, Carolina didn't play that bad. You know, there's some other teams that got whacked by them. Uh, and Carolina got whacked. Don't get me wrong. You're not going to sit there and celebrate a 40 to 13 loss against a team, you know, half a decade ago, you beat four out of five years. But, um, 
our program, not a team. Remember, teams are different than programs. Jobs are different than programs and teams. But, uh, you know, that Arkansas game to me is shaping up to be very difficult. Uh, and I think it has – not that I don't respect Todd Monk and Kirby Smart, Will Muschamp, and those guys at Georgia, because believe me, I do, no matter what you guys may say. <laughs> uh, it's the respect I have for Pittman and Bryles and Odom and the job they've done. They're in their third year. It's the SEC opener. It's out there. They're due against the Gamecocks. You know, so I can see something where the Gamecocks go out there, drop a game, and they come back, rally the troops – uh, and that's kind of been a signature under Shane Beamer. You know, they, you know, the Gamecocks will lose game. They come right, bounce right back and win, you know, especially down the stretch um, and pulling the upset. And, and, and that's with the narrow scope of this question, which is more likely, uh, you know, and, and they're probably close to each other in terms of likeliness. But I give the slight, yeah, just because it's Georgia at home. Uh, the Bulldogs are probably going to come in 2-0. I don't really have a lot of faith that Oregon's going to beat them in the opener. Um, you know, and, and they've taken it to South Carolina pretty good the last two years. You know, so maybe there's a factor where they, you know, they kind of just show up and, you know, the Gamecocks play above and beyond themselves and beat them. You know, I, I, I'll tell you this, you know, after looking at the schedule, the first four SEC games are extremely concerning to me. Um, so that's that with that. Uh, Justin, hey, JC, thanks for all the podcasts you've done lately. I've been saving and downloading them because I have to drive up to Valparaiso, Indiana, and I'm grateful to have all the podcasts from last week to listen to. I do have one question. Does South Carolina become more of a high school basketball state than football state? I ask because it seems there's been more top-end talent in basketball than football. For example, the 2023 class, there are three highly ranked players in basketball. But in football, there's only one high four, four-star, Monroe Freeling. Is this a trend or just a one-year thing? I've been concerned, uh, Mr. White, about the football talent numbers in the state of South Carolina. I'll tell you right now, there's some people that don't agree that Monroe Freeling should be a high four-star. We'll see how his career turns out. But, uh, you know, you basically got Freeling, Marquis Anderson, Montague Rames, and Xavier McLeod. And, you know, that's four guys, you know, the Gamecocks are in on three of them, but three isn't going to get a cut. Going to cut it. And in basketball, you're right. There's been trends of uh, really good elite talent every single year. That used to not be the case either. I think the Zion Williamson and John Morant draft uh, was kind of an announcement that this state has sort of arrived in basketball because you look kind of down down the list, and there's great players coming out every single cycle. Now. Uh, I think South Carolina is probably the Gamecocks. Uh, during camp season this year, they're probably going to find some guys, like they always do, in-state guys like Emin Warray last year, Watson last year, Horton last year. They kind of come up out of nowhere, and that happens every year. And that's a that's another issue in the state. It's just not there's not a lot of foot traffic and and all that. And so there's also a disconnect, I think, between rankings and then guys that are actually good. You know. Uh, like Zion Nelson, who nobody could have predicted, uh, is probably going to be a first-round pick. Uh, he's an offensive tackle at Miami. He's from Sumter. He was 228 pounds when he came out. How do you square that? You know, I mean, I don't – you know, it, it, 
it, it's not fair to sit there and blame Eric Wolford for not signing him because he was 200. I mean, you know, not everybody can be Sedarius Hutcherson. So that's interesting. But, you know, I, I'd, I, Mr. White, I'd, I'd, ta- I'd keep an eye on this because you make a very good point. I hope that's not the case. Um, I read the email from the, the listener the other day about uh, the high school league and what they could do to help football. And I would hope that they would uh, because, you know, South Carolina as a state, has a has enough going against it, you know, with regards to putting out talent and stuff. Uh, you know, it has enough going against it to where the, the South Carolina High School League shouldn't be hindering anybody in any way. And then and the numbers have gone down, I mean, over the years. They have. I mean, it used to be you could get to like 12 or 13 FBS level or, or above. Uh, or I'm sorry, you know, power five, not FBS, power five level. Uh, now you know, it's shrink, you know, because and then it, it's not a Cle- not Clemson, Carolina. It, you know, you, you got your you know Power Five, but a lot of it's Wake Forest and NC State. You know, nothing is NC State or Wake Forest. They're both supposedly top fifteen teams this year. Uh, but you know, Duke comes in and gets a guy. Vandy comes in and gets a guy. I mean, so they're not. It's not like they're battling South Carolina, Clemson, Georgia, whoever else. Uh, for players, and uh, you know, those are basically guys the Gamecocks passed on. So I don't know. We'll see sort of what happens uh, with all that. But you know, it, it, it every single cycle you look ahead and you go, well, next cycle is going to be good, and then you wait for other people to emerge, and, and you're kind of looking at it. And you're like, oh, there's only three guys again. <laughs> um, that's tough. You know, that's why I think it's it's good for the Gamecocks. I'm glad to see them, you know, after kind of a, even with the portal, they're still uh, going on guys like Elijah Davis, who's a in-state placement and a JUCO, I mean, to try to get him back. Uh, you know, they're still scouring the state for players. They still got a good walk-on program for in-state guys, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's good to kind of counterbalance that. But the bottom line is, uh, if you're South Carolina, the more good South Carolina players there are, the better your program's probably going to be, you know, and that's uh, that's been a fact for a long time. Uh, now, you know, with the portal and all that, can you can you patch it up and have a good – yeah, you definitely can. I mean, this is not a, uh, you know, fold the tents and end the program. But, you know, I, I'd kind of like to see this thing get back to where, you know, there's 15 or 20 FBS or Power 5 level guys at the state and then – about 30 when you consider FBS. You know, that's just my opinion on the subject. I mean, I think that it's the state's capable of doing that. I mean, you, you, you know, most of these things with, with football talent are determined by population. Um, you know, New York's uh, an outlier because it population wise, it's obviously one of the biggest states in the country because of New York City. And it's not a football area, but. You know, you look at your other three big states, California, Texas, Florida, those are the three big states population-wise. You know, Georgia, Ohio, uh, they're both right there, big states population-wise. So that's – you know, South Carolina does not have the big population. Uh, But it's 200,000 more, according to the latest census, than Alabama. You know, it's twice as big as Mississippi, you know, and those states routinely put out more talent than or, or sorry, then the Palmetto State. You know, yeah, South Carolina's numbers have been sort of similar to Arkansas's lately. And Arkansas is usually a state where you kind of just go, well, you get to 10, and that, or, you know, if you get to 10, that's a good year. Usually like five to seven. 
So that's something to keep in mind. And, and, and again, if the high school league's working against that and hurting the sport, then that's not good at all, at all. Sean says, uh, I know this is South Carolina podcast, uh, but listen to other podcasts for college ball. Uh, and uh, alarms are going off about the revenue gap between conferences. Some are saying if it doesn't get better, the sport will become regionalized. In 25 years and become NASCAR, what are your thoughts? If you're somebody like the ACC, what would you do? Well, the ACC is in trouble with their TV deal. And then they, uh, my understanding is they sort of behind the scenes, uh, you know, they're trying to get another name to join. That's probably never going to happen. Uh, I wouldn't care if it did. I would, I would be kind of happy if it did, to be honest, because you know, I think Notre Dame needs to be in a conference. But, uh, you know, I, my understanding is they took a big run at Penn State. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, we're happy we're at. So, because if they expand, they get to redo their TV deal. As it stands now, they're locked into 2036 before they get to do a new deal. Everybody else is up quicker than that. So, um, you know, I just, uh, you look at it, and, you know, the SEC, uh, you know, is going to go over 100 million in the next five years, uh, which would be almost double the 52.9 million estimated with the ACC. Now you ask, is it going to become a regional sport like NASCAR? No. (laughs) And I'll tell you why, because, you know, people that say that don't, don't really get it. You know, in in my opinion, you know, like, Oh, it's just a bunch of good Southern teams because of the money or whatever. Yeah. They got money, but the big 10, you know, it's just, also in flyover country, but also stretches from the New York City metropolitan area to Chicago. I mean, I'm sorry, past Chicago to Iowa City, Iowa, and Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> Lincoln, Nebraska being the furthest point west. Um, it's the entire northern fourth of the country. Okay, so they've got money coming in. I, I, you know, I think one of the magical things about college football is that it can be a, it can be alive and it can thrive in a place like Starkville, Mississippi, as well as like Los Angeles, California. If you've ever been out to SC, it's one of the most tradition rich programs in the country. You grew up watching them, you know, they're not going anywhere. Heck they're moving up. Uh, UCLA is popular out there. The Arizona schools get or Arizona state, especially when they're good. They Seattle, Washington, uh, the Washington Huskies ask a fan, ask some fans sometimes about Husky fans. You know, and and that's the beautiful part of college football. And and that's that's something that, you know, some of the haters and the, the regional people, you know, they don't, they don't really understand. They don't really understand. So um, if I were the ACC, you know, I think they did right by going to try to expand. But if that's not going to happen, shoot, I don't know what you do. I mean, I, you know, just – Pray. I mean, I, you know, they got the ACC network. I think they have, you know, a hell of a basketball conference. Um, I, I think the problem with them in football has been that you've gone through these periods of time where it's been one team, you know, uh, Florida State for a long, long time and now Clemson. And, and I think that, you know, the bad part of that is, is then your quote unquote, Competitive years, you know, you, you never had the the Florida State Miami showdown part two that 
they dreamed about. You know, nobody's been able to challenge Clemson from the other division in that game. Shoot, eight-point game against North Carolina, where North Carolina just kind of cut it down at the end. Seven-point game against Virginia Tech in 2016, where the Hokies kind of rallied late. You know, Clemson hadn't been touched. And it it was the same way with FSU, um, you know, prior to the division splits and all that. And then when there's when it's been competitive and they've had unknowns, you end up like Pittsburgh and Wake or Boston College and, and VT, Virginia Tech. Uh, thank God for the Hokies those years because they're, they're – but the point being is the, the football schools in that league, and it's hard to say, you know, the, the schools in that league that have a chance at football, they're North Carolina, Virginia, NC State, Miami, Florida State, Louisville, you know, the Boston College at times, Pittsburgh uh, obviously has some tradition back in the day. But, you know, wouldn't it have been a lot more interesting to have Pitt play Clemson uh, or, or an NC State? Because that almost happened because uh, state would have brought legions of fans. And NC State's a team that has a school that has a chance, you know, in that league. You know, the schools that have a chance haven't, haven't you know, stepped up, you know. North Carolina last year, severe disappointment, you know. And that's, uh, you know, they're a basketball school, obviously, but they're also one of those athletic programs that could be good at everything. And, and they've been good before in football. And uh, that's the problem with ACC football right now is you, you're going through these periods of time uh, for the past 30 years where in like 23 of them, it, it's been, you know, team A and the, uh, the 12, 10, 11, 12, 13 dwarfs. <laughs> and that's, that's not a competitive league. I mean, Alabama's dominated. All of really Alabama's a dynasty uh, in the SEC, but, you still have years where LSU jumps up and wins a title or Georgia beat them last year in the finals, or, you know, you've had times where, you know, the year Georgia beat Auburn uh, because Auburn won the iron bowl. And and what was that? 2017 and Georgia played for all the marbles against Bama. You've had some competitive situations. Other schools have kind of, you know, had a taste of the playoff, you know, since Florida state made the first playoff uh, besides Clemson, no ACC schools are gone. And that's hard. That's difficult. I mean, you can, you can count Notre Dame if you want, but they're not in the league. So outside of expanding, I don't know how they make more money. I mean, I, and I would think this too, and this is what baffles me about that league and, you know, them coming out against the college football playoff, uh, expanding to 12. I'm like, well, you know, you, you just, you're screwing your, your off year uh, champions. You know, Pittsburgh could have made the play a 12 team playoff, right? I think. I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure they could have made it or Wake Forest or whoever. Uh, and you're screwing them completely. And then you know that the, the perception, as long as we have a four-team playoff, perception is always going to matter. They're always going to select it like old-school college football. Uh, and perception matters. And, and so you may even have an 11 or 12-1 and one Wake Forest team that does not get in over a 12-1 and one Ohio State, Oklahoma, Big 12 champ, whatever. So there you go. Uh, I, I think that with football, in many ways, the ACC is its own worst enemy at times. Um, as far as the revenue gap goes, I don't know. That's that, that's a lot when you're talking about 102 million versus 50 million TV money. Uh, and you know, I talked earlier about bringing NIL in house, and 
you know, you, you talk about if a university is able to provide money for NIL, I mean, that's obviously the, the advantage goes to the team with more money. So we'll see sort of what happens there. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but I, I also don't agree that people with people that say it's going to become regionalized because, you know, Southern Cal is not shutting down football. Notre Dame is in South Bend, Indiana, greater Chicago. It's not greater Chicago really, but it's close enough. Uh, the Midwest is full of big football schools. They're making plenty of money. You know, I'm looking at this thing, the big 10, by the time the SEC gets over hundred million, big 10 will be at 90. You know, you worry about some of the other big 12 schools, you know, the PAC 12 screwed the pooch on their uh, PAC 12 network. They need to probably partner with somebody and get rid of the overhead, but you know, the, the PAC 12 is very competitive and those schools in their own way care about football, you know, it's, I mean, not like Southern Cal and Washington and Oregon, but you know, they get crowds out there. So I, I don't, I don't ever see it becoming regionalized. I mean, you're never going to have huge college football in the Northeast just because it's so pro sports oriented. And what do you really have up there? Boston College, Syracuse, Rutgers. You know, most of those people in the Northeast are Notre Dame fans if they're college football fans at all. Um, but, you know, the rest of the country, I think, is pretty well covered. I mean, who's the best FCS program? North Dakota State, probably. It's in the middle of, you know, there's no college sports there, you know, hardly. So, uh, that's a good email, Sean. I appreciate it. George says, you know, he's like uh, on the Daily Show. He said it would be a good idea. The sports talk opinions here in the Upstate are enough to make you nauseous if you're not a Clemson fan. It's so bad that I miss Roy Philpot. I actually enjoyed hearing him talk sports <laughs> without the orange-colored glasses. Yeah, Roy, Roy does a good job as a broadcaster. Having your podcast, Mike Morgan and JB and Goldwater, I found a space, safe space. Says JB decided to quit on us. The need for a daily show has never been greater. Thanks for all you do. And that's why I'm doing it, George. I just uh, think there is a need. You know, quite frankly, I, I had too much fun on JB and Goldwater not to consider doing it. Joseph says Devin Hyatt releases his top four today. He did. Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Carolina. I think he's – I would like to think he's okay making his own way, would not follow his brother Tennessee. What are your thoughts? I know Justin Stepp is a relentless recruiter. I'm excited to see him stack our wide receiver room with some studs. I think he's already done that with the portal. Thanks, Joseph. Yeah, it's, Justin's a heck of a recruiter. I, you know, are they going to get Hyatt at the end? This this one feels like, you know, first of all, like I said earlier, I, I don't. Devin's not his brother. He's a different type of receiver. Uh, you know, I, I think he's good. Uh, is he elite? I wouldn't put him in that category. Uh, you know. Will they tell him, yeah, he's an in-state kid? He'd probably come out and surprise you a little bit. I mean, he, he may be like Junior Hemingway a couple of years ago who I you know, had some serious questions about his speed and stuff. And lo and behold, Junior Hemingway is in the NFL. And then Tonka's at Carolina now. <laughs> so, you know, in my opinion, I, I you know, they'll take him. Uh, I don't know that he's a lock to go to Tennessee. I'd probably call him the favorite. Um you know, and I don't know where he's out on Alabama or Georgia's board. I, I just know the Gamecocks have a, you know, an official visit scheduled. I, I, I know that he is, you know, the Gamecocks have recruited him a lot harder than they recruited Jalen. Uh, the old staff didn't, didn't want Jalen. Um, but, I, you know, it, it feels to me like one of those things where, you know, Carolina thinks 
you know, or, or it looks like Carolina may get him, you know, kind of right, you know, right the ship with the Hyatt family or whatever. And then he ends up going elsewhere, you know, at the end, I, I just, I, you know, that's the feeling I get, but, you know, I also was, you know, I'm also kind of surprised he's taking an official, I, you know, the feedback every time he's been on campus has been amazing. So uh, amazingly positive. So maybe, you know, maybe they do get him. I, I don't know. I'm not counting on it right now, but uh, you know, stranger things have certainly happened. All right. That's all the time we have for today on the podcast. Really good to be with you guys on Monday. Uh, glad to talk all these topics uh, again, keep the mailbag questions rolling in. We'll be back later this week with more, uh, until then I am going to sign off. This is JC Sherbert inside the Gamecocks podcast. Have a great day, everybody.